Hello and welcome to episode 117 of the Game Pit Podcast. My name's Ronan and this is a bit of an unusual episode for us. There's no Sean for starters. He's been replaced by two lovely ladies. But also we're recording on location from Alexandra Palace in North London for Tabletop Gaming Live 2018, the very first Tabletop Gaming Live exhibition. And myself and Rachel, hello. Hello. And Eleanor. Hello have been inside the halls playing a few games and we're going to run down and i should have counted beforehand six of the games we've got to try um the show itself there was a few things being shown off but asmodee uk in particular had a few sm releases there uh with just the one copy in the uh in the country they had the likes pandemic fall of rome but we didn't get a chance to play that but we did play some other things so we're just going to give you an overview of what we played and the first thing we got to play this morning is the upcoming sm release orbis from Space Cowboys, and in Orbis you're playing as, I don't really know who you are, you might be rival gods, but you're trying to put together some sort of land or planet with different terrains, and there's always an offer of nine of them out, and it's spatially important where you take them from, because they've got colours, and when you pick up a tile, worshippers of that colour appear on the tiles around it, and when you pick up a tile with worshippers on, you get to keep them, and you have to pay for certain tiles with worshippers of colours, and then the different colours are slightly thematic in how they affect the scoring. You've got white ones that are temples, which is a majority scoring at the end. There are blue tiles which irrigate the tiles below them, but they have to be of a certain colour irrigated, or they won't score you points, so you have to plan your colours there. And also, when you, we build a pyramid from five to one, and the top one's always your god tile, which will give you some in-game scoring or bonus. But you can only place a colour on a level above <laughs> in a space where it touches already one of its own colour. So if you had a blue and a red together, the next tile goes between them has to be blue or red on the next level up. Anyway, you've got red ones, which are volcanoes, where you have to sacrifice certain numbers of worshippers in the tile offer in order to score those points. There are green ones, which are forests, which score for having certain colour lands around them. There are some other ones, someone might remind me. The yellow the ones. ones. <laughs> <laughs> there were yellow ones where you, they gave you some sort of benefit during the game. You such had to. As, um, infinite, infinite white keep. Oh, yes, yeah, on the early ones, you'd get an infinite token and then you would never have to pay red again yeah. or blue or green. But later on ones, but you had to put worshippers in there. So if you sacrifice three worshippers, for example, you don't sacrifice them, you house them in the village. They're definitely not getting sacrificed. They might be getting sacrificed. Um, <laughs> that will score you some points. So it starts off, and the first, it, there's three levels of tiles you can draft, and the first level are quite happy, nice ones. They give you infinite numbers, and they allow you to pick up worshippers, extra worshippers, and you're just wide open in your tableau, and you can put down whatever you want, and you spend, because it's about 45 minutes long, you spend maybe 20 minutes going... Oh, this is okay. This is nice and bright. There's not a lot to it. And then it somewhat intensifies. <laughs> well, you get the volcanoes where people are killing off cubes, uh, worshippers on the board, which means that you've got a lot less to be able to work with when you're picking up tiles. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> that was quite brutal. And you start suffering and you start having to take tiles as, as what were they called? Wastelands or something Wastelands. like that? Wastelands. And also the green ones started only working with specific configurations of tiles as you had to lay them next to specific colours. And it, it just became tighter and harder to get the um, tiles that you wanted, really. If you can't 
you or decide not to place a tile, you can flip it over. It's going to cost you a point at the end, but it becomes a wild color, and then you can build any color then on top of there. So you can get going again, but obviously you're attempting to avoid having to do that too often. I don't think any of us managed it without having a barren wasteland. Yeah, I think we had to flip <laughs> at some stage. But that nice sort of happy, jolly feel around the table of oh, this is okay, this is quite easy. Into oh, that kicked in less than halfway through. Yeah, it was and really cool. The, the shift of feeling. Did you enjoy it, Rachel, or did it get too tight? What were your thoughts on it? No, I really enjoyed it. I quite liked it as a puzzle in terms of trying to plan what to put in. Because obviously you're going up on a pyramid, so you're getting less and less tiles that you can put in all the time. So I actually quite enjoyed trying to plan what I was going to do to make sure I still had something to do the next time. Oh, you had a plan. That's showing off. (laughs) And I still felt that I was interacting with other players as well because there was a point where I couldn't take another colour. So I took the tile that I knew that Rachel wanted and just turned it into a You thought you'd bring that up. We're all in a confined space trying to record a podcast (laughs) and this is what you want to (laughs) make. That caused quite the, the consternation at the table. I think I got my revenge at some point. <laughs> at some point during the day, you must have done. It looked nice, the components and everything. It was pretty to play. Yeah. yeah. Any complaints, any negatives on there, Ellie? Uh, not particularly. I thought it was... Once the volcano started coming out, I thought it was a little bit too hard to get cubes of the right colour. But that might have just been me, seeing as I didn't get any of the infinite cube tiles right at the beginning. Yeah, because there's so many of the extra cubes available. So what happens is you can't go above ten cubes and you end up having to hand them in and lots of people had to start handing the cubes in and reduce down so we kind of get the feeling that there's loads of these cubes you have to worry about it and then they really dry up for the last third of the game and the, the cube economy changes a lot mm-hmm. we also had some concerns about the uh, cube putter outer well we've always got concerns about Puria. he was in charge of putting the cubes out and we're not sure they all went out as, as planned so maybe it's not as tight as saying but, but look 90 percent yes, of them definitely so, yeah. did so overall we're going to give these ratings out of 10 i've just come up with that idea <laughs> thank you no, no, i've definitely not dropped it on their laps immediately so first impression rating out of 10 for orbis rachel i would say an eight i really enjoyed it i think it's a middle game for me it's not a heavy euro uh, it's not difficult to pick up and good fun i give it more along the lines of a six mainly because i just found it quite difficult towards the end to get cubes for what i needed you're the you're the black sheep all the way through i think on these reports for these games <laughs> this is show. for me i'm definitely near a rachel and ellie on that i enjoyed it quite a lot and for the length of it and the fact it was getting tight i need to play it a lot more obviously to give it a proper review but i think seven or eight out of ten i shouldn't i shouldn't do that i always say if you're doing it out of ten just say what you're saying so i'm gonna go eight out of ten for first impression i'll agree rachel because that keeps the peace okay <laughs> now the second game that got played uh, i actually got to play with sean in uk games expo and we've talked about it before definitely in the videos we did from uk games expo i can't remember if we did it on the podcast or not but we definitely mentioned it before it's escape tales the awakening it's from board and dice it's a an escape room game but it's there's a board little map that you're choosing where to go and wherever you go there are various puzzles which unveil which has a tiny little companion app which you use to help you have a look at things and you're making decisions about how to put things together and there are puzzles and there's logic but there are several rooms and the decisions you make in the game will take you to various rooms along various paths and there are seven different endings to the game and it's about a man whose wife has died and his child's gone into a coma and he starts to have a feeling that her soul has basically been taken by something and he's now going into an occult ritual i don't know how strong the occult feeling is but some sort of ritual from a book to try and as it turns out delve into this 
underworld or other dimension to try and find his daughter's soul. Now, I was just there for the first part of this. So Rachel and Ellie are definitely leading this. I've played it before. You guys are fans of escape room sorts of games and puzzles and what have you, and escape rooms themselves, especially Rachel. Lots of nodding going on here. <laughs> so what were your initial impressions on Escape Tales, The Awakening, Ellie? I really enjoyed it. I always felt that there was a sense of reward for what we were doing. I really liked the way that the riddles worked, that you could get different clues in different areas and put them all together. And the challenges were challenging, but not so difficult that I felt frustrated at any point. I liked the fact that it was several different routes you could go down. So you didn't actually have to go and see everything in the room, because obviously the longer you're in the room, the bigger the impact on your time and the less actions there seemed to be what happened. And I actually quite enjoyed that without actually having a timer there. So you have more time to make decisions but it was still lots of things to do and see and lots of different paths that could happen so the time pressure aspect in the game is you get a certain number of action markers and when you've used them all if you found a way out of the area you're in you can choose to move on or you can choose to stick around you'll get some action markers but you have to draw a doom card which uh, over time certain negative things start happening to you and i think what you're saying is there's not the real-time aspect of no. escape the game yeah. where you have to do it or unlock we have to do it within an hour and there's actually a timer counting down you can think and make your decisions and it's more how you choose to use your in-game time yes that's it exactly brilliant i love it you just say yes <laughs> no sentence podcasting that's but i also thought the artwork was just beautiful Oh, it was incredible. That was some really good work. We only got, I think, three rooms in. We met a character and just the work around him was beautiful. It was all so thematic and it just worked. And in terms of the theme, it's obviously slightly at an angle to most of the other escape room games and that it's definitely got this heavy idea that you're doing a ritual and you're going to this other underworld. Sometimes that can feel cheesy or it can't quite work. How did you feel the theme was implemented throughout the story and, and with you playing it? I thought the aspect of fear within it, of doing this spell for the guy, was very good in the prologue that we got, mm -hmm. because he took this book from a man who'd done the same thing for his son, and this man hinted that there was some untold sort of punishment. And as I said, we only played two Was it pulled in. through from the prologue, though, throughout the whole play in the game? Did you feel... Yes, because... these games can turn dry and just turn yeah. into a puzzle. No, so. no, it didn't. There was a few bits where, for one point, you meet someone and you have a choice on whether to talk to them or not and there's some language that suggests it may or may not be a bad idea <laughs> and did you feel like you were in the story is, is what yes because yes. that's it they've called it escape tales not escape room or exit yeah. it, it was a it's story about, yeah. you were in a story and the story was developing and you were part of that development and, and you it could go different places you always got the narrative of the character that you were playing, the voice coming through because you were reading through the book the book as you were doing all the cards. Beautifully read as well. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so Eleanor, right now of ten for Escape Tales of the Awakening, your first impression. I'd say nine. Ooh. I really, really enjoyed it. Boom. Rachel? Uh, I'm more... I, I think I'm going to go with an eight again. I think you're going to put a four there, the way you... <laughs> she was, no, yeah, I was, there was thinking, agony I was on your thinking face. about a seven or an eight because I... I generally I enjoy escape rooms but not as much as real escape rooms not as much as, as like board games okay but I did actually really enjoy this one it was really pretty and having played it before and just sitting through this one 
I already said somewhere that I really liked it. It's definitely an 8 out of 10 for me, and I'm looking forward to it at Essen. Pretty sure we're going to pick up a copy and give it a full playthrough. So whether we ever report back on it or not, I know. Or I don't know, but for the first couple of hours of play, we can all say are really fun. Es Escape Tales The Awakening. We're going to move on, and generally this, is, I think, is going to be quite positive because we've had a good time with most of these games. And the next one is Blue Lagoon. Now, these guys haven't heard it, and it's not out yet as we're recording, but you'll have heard us talk about Blue Lagoon with Puria, and you're gonna have heard us talked about it as well with Dan Hughes. So this is the third episode in a row in which we'd have talked about Blue Lagoon. So we're gonna do this very quickly, because if you listen to the last two episodes, you have an idea how it plays. You're laying down tiles on a board, making chains across islands. There's two phases, you collect resources, and you're really, really mean to each other. <laughs> this is another one like Orbis, whereby in the first half, maybe that meanness and tightness doesn't come through. And then when you get into the second half, it really tightens up again. You know that I like it a lot, because I've told you lots of times about that. So I'm gonna hand directly over just really your thoughts and verdicts on it with the guys now at play so rachel i actually really liked it i liked that there was different routes to be able to get scoring you did you weren't necessarily all going for the same thing which allowed a bit more uh, room to maneuver i thought the first half was a bit softer and then Definitely, the second yeah. half was brutal because for instance you making a big big line down the centre of the board. So I don't know what you mean. Move. I don't know what you mean. What happened? I couldn't join my chamber. Did someone block everyone off? What yes, happened there? Yes, nobody could do it on Long Island. Oh, that sounds terrible. Oh, that's a bad person. <laughs> Ellie, thoughts on Blue Lagoon? I really enjoyed it for what it was, but I don't feel as though I really got what the second round was going to be in the first half. So... I had my own little corner, a chain of villages. Your villages were quite close to each other, yeah, weren't they? they yeah, they were. I didn't really quite... I, <laughs> didn't, I made the same mistake. I didn't score that well. I did yeah. block everyone off. It was like secondary win condition, annoy everyone else at the table. <laughs> but I didn't score that many points. I think you didn't quite appreciate early on that you could, you've got to have your, your huts out to be able to Spread expand out. outwards again. Exactly. Yeah. That's only ever going to happen in one game. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> you'll definitely know for sure. So... Blue Lagoon, uh, uh, this is just the third episode of Praising It. People are going to think we're mental. Ellie, <laughs> out of 10? I'd say seven. Rachel's pained again. <laughs> Two could get a 48. I don't want to give everything an eight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to. Eight. Eight as well. Again, just another really good game. And I don't give eights out that easy. It's like, I'm happy to give a five for an average game. I'm happy. You know, seven's still a good game that I'm happy to play. But we've just, we started off with three very good games. The next one, we think there may be some more of a difference of opinion. I kind of wish Puri had come and sat on our laps and recorded with us because <laughs> we played Shadows Amsterdam, which is another one you've heard me mention in the last episode. So again, we'll just talk about it quickly. It's the, the kind of Dixit codenames crossover where you play in teams and you're handing out cards. The hexes in this prototype it was anyway that that they had. And they indicate where you want your team to move. When they move the dob, they're either going to get caught by the police, it happens three times if the other team wins, or they're going to move to a neutral space or to a clue. When they collect three clues, you're trying to get them to an exit. If one team gets the exit before the other, they win. If one team gets hit three times by the police, that is a very loud car going past. <laughs> if one, <laughs> if one uh, team gets caught by the police and they're out, the other team wins. I've probably said that eight times now. And we, it was there. And I don't think anyone knew what it was because it was just sitting there unplayed and suddenly we came across it. And it was kind of a show for that. We're going to round up about the show itself at the end. But it was a bit of a weird show. Like where suddenly you'd find this game, you'd be like, if this, people, more people knew about this, that this is a big release for Essen, mm. then surely they'd be crowding mm -hmm. around it. But anyway, Shadows Amsterdam. 
Uh, we talked about how much you guys enjoyed Detective Club on the last episode. This, to me, is is kind of a similar thing where they're taking the uh, the premise of Dixit and building on it, like dealing with Mysterium. Although it's not the same designer, it, it, it's kind of similar to me. So anyway, bubbling on about there, Rachel Shadows Amsterdam. Any thoughts? Well, <laughs> I didn't enjoy this one anywhere near as much as Ellie and Ronan did. <laughs> That's just because we were amazing at it. Oh, we were great. You guys are on some weird (laughs) mental pathway. You've always said that. (laughs) Now, my main issue with it was that... I mean, we had to play it so that you could chuck your tiles away and pick up new tiles because sometimes you just didn't have a tile that had any relevance at all. That might be in the rules. We didn't actually read the rule book. We went from my memory of how to play it because we were trying (laughs) to fit it in between two other things. So we've played it 95% right. Whether you can take a mulligan or not, is the one thing that we weren't too sure about. Yeah, because I found several times I had a hand, well, tiles that I just couldn't use. That's and why I think we said you could have a mulligan because when you pick six new tiles up, because the game's real time, right? Yeah. If you pick six new tiles up, you've got to spend the time looking, looking through them. At it. So it's yeah. almost, it's a penalty all by itself doing it. It's not exactly. like just mulligan, mulligan, no. mulligan. Yeah. So. And, and also, I think it would benefit from having all the tiles the same way around because when you're picking up all the tiles, you should turn them the right way around to make to see what you're trying to Well, that's because you mulliganed 48 times. I didn't, actually, because I kept forgetting how to do it. <laughs> you thought about it. I kept forgetting our cheat rules. You, you had a um, really interesting interpretation of how many tiles you would give me. Oh, to I did. To I move. kept forgetting to move my dobber. And I kept forgetting... So when uh, you're the clue giver, you've got a dobber on a tiny little, little map and to show where the person, where your group, has mo- group have moved to. And Rachel kept forgetting to move it. Yes. So she thought I was two away when really I was three away or yes. the other way around. And I would keep forgetting that. And I never did work out when you were putting two tiles down, whether it was supposed to be two tiles that were talking about the final one or whether it was supposed to be the no, one No, the final one, one the, the destination. One. Yeah, I never worked one. that out. Okay, we oh, might right. just scratch your score from the record. <laughs> I might put white noise in because I'm not sure you have well, really got I your head around it. I did try and do it We played it twice. You didn't... I did try and do it as the final one, but I played the first time and we got three blooming police officers within four moves. Yeah, you were terrible. <laughs> So she played with Puri the first time and that was just horrific. No, myself and Dad already had all three of our clues and were looking for the exit by then. <laughs> yeah, I just... We had to split the team up for the second game. <laughs> Ellie? I really enjoyed it, but then I enjoyed Dixit and Mysterium and but abstract I Dixit clue games like that. And Mysterium. <laughs> I just didn't like this one because it was too open to interpretation. So you like to have a proper explanation of a game when you start playing it. And you like to have a full idea of what the pattern of the game is so that you can get your head around the whole picture before we start playing. I do prefer that. Did that impact the fact that we picked it up and suddenly it was like, oh, we can play this quick. This is roughly how you play. Should we just go? I don't think it did. Because it still would have been the same frustration of the tiles being the wrong way around. If you've got cards, it's easy. It's one way or the other way. But it's turn them all around. And also, as I said, some of them you just couldn't connect at all. Yeah, but that's the ones. moan people have about Mysterium. That well, you just do your best. Yeah. You just go. I know, but that is more like those two anthropomorphized pandas on a bus than it is like <laughs> that eagle who's but in a hotel but, making a phone call. But I've done Mysterium and I've been perfectly happy with that. And both me and Puri are both experienced the same thing. Him when he was giving clues, and well, me when trying to read his if clues. If that's the best support you've got, you've lost the argument. <laughs> <laughs> I do think, though, that this is a game that is very dependent on the group in which you play. More dependent than the others that yes. are similar to it, I think. Yes. With the real-time aspect and mm-hmm. 
the rushing and they're having to th- you do have to be quicker in your, in your thinking. And not quicker in your thinking. The, when you're looking at the map, the pictures themselves of where you're going are in different orientations. Yes. So no matter where you're sitting at the table, you're going to be looking at things upside down, left, right, you know, back to front, all the rest of it. That I can definitely see that. Where you, you've got to have the ability to look at the picture from any direction and kind of pull out what's relevant to what the cards are in your hand. Uh, frankly, I don't understand why those tile things, why they're not just cards. Yeah, I think because they can be part of the board to help sort of the... And they might be. This this is a prototype, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think they probably are tiles because they can be part of the board as well, so it gives you more variation. Is that just your big frustration with this entire game, the hexagons? Uh, well, that's my main frustration. <laughs> but the other thing, of course, is that they didn't seem to... I know this is a prototype. There weren't a lot of hexagons, and I get the feeling that if they don't expand it, then after a while you're going to just associate certain hexagon with certain they were, they were all much more within a limited theme yes. than yes. the other games. It was all anthropomorphized, oh, difficult to say that word, anthropomorphized animals within a city. And, and there were certain, you know, the same characters or very similar characters cropped up on various tiles. Yes. So there was definitely a different tilt there towards it, which might be also why it was more difficult to make certain associations because some of the target tiles are very close to each other and it was you had to concentrate on the differences in them rather than the similarities that makes any sense i see what you mean <laughs> so uh, ratings out of 10 rachel <laughs> i would give it four or five i definitely give that an eight i really wow, liked it i would okay. play it again I want to play it with you different doubled groups. Yeah. <laughs> In both ways. I liked it enough for both of us. I <laughs> oh, see. I am going to give it a seven. I enjoyed it. I'll be happy to play it again. But I understand that there are certain issues with it that means that not everyone is going to enjoy it as much as I did. Okay, so moving onwards, the fifth game we played today was Seven Wonders. <laughs> there's a story there but it wasn't just seven wonders because any i'm sure you've played base game seven wonders i haven't i promise you that i've never (laughs) played base game seven Wonders. i feel like you have no because you've gone do you want to play seven wonders and then we found something else to do which is why i told the man who was going to teach us the armada expansion for seven wonders which is coming to get again out of Essen, that he didn't need to teach us seven wonders because we all knew when we sat down it turns out one guy hadn't played for three years and eddie had never played but we don't, we'll just brush past that it's fine they may have come in the bottom two places but, but again not not as important as it could be okay we played a seven player game of seven wonders it was just base game plus the new armada expansion the differences the Armada expansion makes are you get eight cards at the beginning of each of the three eras and you can play seven rather than six also when you play a red, blue, yellow or green card, you've got a ship on a track and there is an additional resource cost. And if you have those additional resources, in addition to what you've used that turn to build whatever you've built, you can move your ship up the track. Now, there's scoring at the end of each era and it's everyone around the table and the strongest navy is going to score points and the, the weakest is going to lose lots of points, Rachel. The, <laughs> the yellow track, when you play yellow cards, when you, as you go up, you earn money. You also earn a commercial level and you're going to cause other players to have to pay money into the bank according to what their commercial level is. And when you go up on the blue track, using the blue cards, you know, they just score points in Seven Wonders, I hope you know. That just gives you extra points at the end of the game for how far up you go. And when you got the green track with your science cards, you get to visit islands of level one, two, or three and get these bonus cards, which give you 
all kinds of different bonuses. They give you extra military strength, extra naval strength, extra science symbols, extra gold. All, there's all sorts in there. And it's an extra thought as to what cards you're going to play and also what resources you have. The resource costs on these ship tracks are different on all of the boards, and there are eight boards in there anyway that we saw. Also, your naval board that you get when you build a level of your wonder it will give you a movement in one of the four areas with your ship which will give you some sort of bonus but just for that one but just for that one so mine was military even though i never built any military cards so i built my three levels of my wonder and i was up enough on that military track that i didn't get the minus points and i never Show had to build off. a red card to do that <laughs> thank thank heaven rachel was there <laughs> i still didn't win by a long way so I, I guess we'll start off with Ellie because this is our first impression of Seven Wonders itself. Leading into, you can't really tell us much about Armada Kenny because you've only ever played the two. Um, I liked Seven Wonders. I'd like to play it again as a base game before playing Armada again. So <laughs> well, that would make sense like. to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just teach me the base game. Okay, I did promise that we would play more of the base game before it. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure we we'll be playing Armada there. Sean likes Seven Wonders as well. Good initial impressions on Seven Wonders. Yeah, I liked it. I really liked the concept. I guess there's a reason why it's big. Yeah, and you're playing with some sharks on there. We've played dozens of times. Okay. At least I didn't come last last. No, you didn't. You beat someone who played Seven Wonders quite a lot. <laughs> Gee, gee, what's going on? Okay. Rachel, actually Seven Wonders Armada, you can tell us about that. <laughs> I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was a great addition. It gave you something else to have to focus on, on top of what you're already doing. Uh, and you have to keep an eye on what other people are doing to make sure you're not falling too behind in specific areas. Obviously, I didn't do that well on the military track. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really didn't do well on the, um, the yellow Commercial, commercial track. track did you do well on any of the tracks? I did really well on the green and blue, which I got all the way up. Oh, okay, I didn't. But the yellow, the, table. the yellow track, I never seemed to get a yellow card because because <laughs> uh, Shireen on one side used to swallow them up, and Pereira on the other side yeah. swallowed them up. So I never saw yellow cards. And then in the end, I thought the islands were fantastic because it really you'd get several cards to look at, and you could pick one that worked for you. So, for instance, because I was doing so badly and all my money was going on the commercial track and other people were hitting things, I actually managed to get the card that meant I didn't have to pay. Oh, you became immune to our taxes. <laughs> yeah. That was really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> because it, you, you, it's costing you debt points. Yes, that but, kind of saved my game. <laughs> uh, what I found with this one, certainly as opposed to Babel, but opposed to Cities and Leeds as well, is that it felt like the first expansion to Seven Wonders, as in this should have been the first one that came out because it changed the game less than the others do, less even than Leaders and Cities, but added more to the game. As in, there was more to think about. It was more worth playing certain cards. There was a little bit more comboing up, but you were still playing Seven Wonders. Yeah, and I've always loved, what I've always loved about Seven Wonders is there's so many different options on where to go to get your points, and they've, they've just kept that going, and yeah. it's, it's quite balanced still. So I really enjoyed that. It, it gave you things like taking yellow cards became more valid. It wasn't just, I've got no money. Oh, I have to take a yellow yeah. card now. It was, oh, taking a card pushes me up, gets me money, costs them money. Great. It worked, I think, really well for the seven-player game where everyone says, it's not true, but whatever. Everyone says, when you're playing seven players, you, you don't worry about what's going on the other end of the table. That definitely brought it more. We were all talking more. We were all interacting more. Even if it's just a, a social human thing, we were talking to each other more about yeah. it. And, and it didn't really delay things at all either with 
so many people on the table. No, was... yeah, it was intuitive to do it. You just do your track. Once everyone understood how the tracks worked, and that took one minute. It was a case of right. If you have a commercial level, is not one. You lose two money and all the rest of it, and, and it all it all flowed in. I was really really impressed with this actually yeah. as an expansion to a game I really like. So ratings out of ten. Eddie's gonna give us a first impression on that <laughs> on that brand new game, Seven Wonders. <laughs> I give it a six. I oh, liked it. Get out! You're walking home. I was so confused <laughs> the entire time, given that I had Lloyd teaching me. Yeah, that's not good. Either. No, sorry not about really. Lloyd. <laughs> I really want to play it again to improve that rating. As an expansion, I'd give it a nine. We need to stop copying each other. <laughs> Why is it we can spend three weeks at home and not agree on anything, and we come out today and we agree on everything? We, we disagreed on one. We, well, the, uh, I gave it a four. F- oh, yeah, Shadow's Understand. You gave it a... Yeah, what did you give enough. it? A seven. Seven. Yeah, it was good. It's a, it's a nine for me as well. Excellent expansion. Fan- I really enjoyed my first impression of it. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. We're I gonna just get it. See future playability with it. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and and rewarding going down. Even those I can paths. see that. Nice. Okay, the very last game that we played today, and last one we're gonna chat about now, is the sixth one is Reef from Emerson Matucci and Plan B Games. It's kind of an abstract puzzler, in which you are either drafting a card from a central display or playing a card. When you play a card, it, it gives you two bits of coral. Of one of, of any four colours to place down onto your own four by four grid, which you can build up to a level of four. So it's a four by four cube, four by four by four by four by four cube. Good. And uh, then the bottom half of the card is going to score you for having a certain pattern of coral and very simple patterns. Have you got yellow and red diagonally next to each other? Have you got a line of three yellows? Have you got any purples on a height above three that you've built up? And it only ever counts the, the color that's on top. So it's all very quick and simple, the scoring. And that's what you're doing. You're drafting a card or you're playing a card. When you play a card, you add on score. So it's from the same company as Azul, but not the same designer. But certainly that's it's come out to high expectations because it's come from that company i didn't actually enjoy it that much i felt like everybody was doing their own thing they weren't interacting the only real interaction you had was taking cards and to choose which card you wanted next and a lot of the time you're just hoping take a card so that i can hopefully have a new one come out that i want (laughs) definitely at the beginning it was really hard i had four level cards in my hand and there were other cards that were all so we talk about the four level cards is that They'll only score you points if you have your coral built up to a height of four, which obviously you can't do at the beginning of the game. You start with four at the beginning of the game on level one, and you have to have played a few cards to get them up to that level. So initially, you're almost playing cards to throw them away because you're putting coral down, knowing that's not scoring now. I don't know if it will score in the future because I don't know what I need to score in the future. So it was hard to plan ahead. And like you say, if a load of them come out that say, have something at level three, have something at level four, have a pattern that includes four things, and you're like, well, that's not going to have happened. I felt it was a really odd way to start playing a game. Yeah, the other thing I felt was, I know this is just random card draw, but the start of the game, it was all high levels and they all needed yellows and no yellow top things came out because the top of the card never matches the bottom yeah. right you'll let you lay purple but it'll score for yellow or let you lay red and score for green so you're ending up with cards in your hand you can't use chucked a lot of cards away so i also you, think that when you throw them when you throw them away you play the coral but you can't score them is what you're saying you get scoring no points it's, it's a really odd way to start a game or well, you want to start off on the right foot right and you don't with this one no i think it was probably luck of the draw but i started out already ready to score a couple of cards so i just 
boshed them out, had some mm. extra victory points, was able to get the cards that I wanted when they've sifted out the rubbish. I rather enjoyed it. I wouldn't say no to another game, but I wouldn't really bring it up again, say let's play Reef. I just found there was no strategy, there was no forward planning. I had no end game. Okay, so what I'll do is I'll set my board up to score for one or two of the cards in my hand. But what I'm doing when I play that card, by adding the more coral, is, has no rhyme or reason to it. And I'll just pop them down anywhere, waiting, and then I'll look at next time I'm picking up cards, I'll look and go, oh, I've kind of got two reds, and that kind of scores for reds. I'll grab that and see if I can formulate that. But I'm, the action I'm taking isn't to any end. I don't have a direction to go yeah, in. It just felt like luck, what, what pattern you had on your board yeah. when cards came out. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I agree. And then when we scored it... The scores were 42, 41, 41, and then whatever. But the fact that three of us were within one point of each other really said to me that we'd sat there for half an hour just building bits of Duplo. <laughs> and not much more than that. I liked it when we first played it, but now that I've sort of sat on it for a little while, I can see that it was just I thought dry. you were going to be positive about it. You were quite positive at the table because we were a bit miserable about yeah. it. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> have we talked you out of it be, yeah. be your own woman you be strong you have your own I am thoughts. strong I thought about it <laughs> <laughs> stop thinking though <laughs> sorry I loved it it was a great game <laughs> <laughs> no yeah so ending on a bit of a bum note here for the games Reef yeah, no it didn't strike me that well but we'll, we'll go for our scores out of 10 Ellie uh, 5 out of 10 I'd say Rachel 4 3 I was almost a 3 <laughs> <laughs> 3 for me is a poor game I just no structure to it. And this, this is the guy that's Century Spice Road, who if you listen regularly, well, you'll know I hated that as well. So. <laughs> but you absolutely love Azul. Yeah, I love Azul. Yeah, and I, I talked about Azul. Me too. Do. I love But it's not the same designer, no, same no, company. No, and, and I think him it coming out from that company also is going to raise expectations. And yeah. hmm. Anyway, to wrap up, because we did promise this would be a quick episode, plus we've got places to be, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I have anyway. <laughs> Your thoughts in general on the show. Now, Ellie has been to Essen and is coming again and she's been to UK Games Expo. So your thoughts initially on what the first Tabletop Gaming Live was like, 2018. I liked it a lot. It was very small. There seemed to be quite a few families there as well. It seemed to be the show that you went to to bring your kids while the grown-ups had a look at the games. And because it was very small and there weren't that many people, there was always something to play and there was always something we got I think most of the ones that we wanted to play played. We didn't get Pandemic Fall at Rome played. I know, but you knew that... We I'm going to have a little cry that. about that. Yeah. <laughs> the crowd was very family-orientated. Yes. I'm not sure the show was very family-orientated. I think the show was aimed more towards or for more serious gamers. I mean, there was lots of other stuff. Well, there was miniatures there, there was leather armour, there was gaming tables and wooden accessories and military books and history and t-shirts and all sorts of other stuff was there but in terms of if i was thinking if i was taking younger kids and lots of people did there wasn't even a family gaming area where you they have that uk games expo like certainly a spiel is really family friendly it's very yes. family oriented they have huge halls of just family games they have like a play areas in the gallery and stuff like that i felt there was a slight mismatch between crowd and what was on offer I felt like this was the starting. I feel like they're starting up and they're going to be expanding in the future. I thought it was a good start-up because, you know, they had some good stalls there, some variety. They had some new games that were coming out and were fresh and new. In fact, their library had some new games as well, which I thought was 
very, very good. The games library was strange. It was a table you it could was. take games from to play. Mm-hmm. There were games that aren't out on that games library. And then there was like Millennium Blades. I don't know who's going to pick up Millennium Blades and play it. As a, <laughs> exactly. But there wasn't Carcassonne or Catan or Ticket there to Ride. There seemed some really random games Yeah, there. it was very much a hardcore gamers. And it wasn't very well advertised no. No, so it didn't have big, big letters in library or anything, no. which I think would have or really anything helped. from the publishers about the new games. Because, I mean, one positive, and I'm, I'm sorry I was saying negative, I had a really good time today, by the yeah. way. Yeah, oh, I did, yeah. Re- it was nice, loads of room, there was nice food, mm-hmm. there was reasonably priced oh, beer. Really. There was loads. a good variety of people, it was fantastic areas for playing games. Chilled, yeah, massive, and that's what I'm saying, massive so open chill. gaming area. And there was always someone from one of the companies to come and talk you through a game yeah. and sit with you for a little bit. In the massive open gaming area, which is what people ask for in gaming, then that well done for, for providing that. It's really good. Have a decent games library and yes. have someone running it and have the basics. <laughs> and, I, and I know that's tough to do. You've got to get the games from somewhere. But that's the next step for me. I think the main thing I'd say was that games library was a bit weird. But they had like shop and drop for two quid really and stuff. They had really good things in there. They had talks and seminars, which there were a few people in. They had a really good programme of that. You could always get a game in or something. Some games were getting hammered, like Dice Hospital was always getting Reef. hammered, I saw. I would have liked to do Reef that. Reef was having games. Quambra was there. Well, they got the outside. Planet Fall of Rome, I've mentioned it 82 times, was there. <laughs> the ones that we did today. <laughs> yeah, the ones we've played. If you were looking to get newer games, certain newer games played, the options were there for you, for sure. And there was lots of positives, loads of room, very chilled. Everyone seemed very happy and relaxed, so that mm-hmm. was good. Obviously, I think it's obvious just a couple of lessons for them to learn, maybe. But but real good start, very positive, so I had a good time. Uh, any final thoughts for us? I just genuinely had a really lovely day and played some good games. Played a not-so-good game, but it was just a lovely experience. I really enjoyed it. I thought everyone was very friendly, and I'm guessing it isn't as manic as a lot of other case expos, so I really enjoyed that. Okay, has it, has it convinced you to come to some of the other ones, or are you still more to the children? I always intend to go to Essen at some point, but this one's nice and close to home and it makes it easy. Okay, you didn't really answer the question, politician. Stop, <laughs> stop grinning at me. <laughs> right, well, those are our thoughts on Tabletop Gaming Live 2018 at Alexandra Palace. Thanks a lot for joining us and we'll be back to more regular programming with Sean from next episode. Thanks everyone. So this has been the Game Pit Podcast. We are proud members of the Dice Tower Network. For all you could possibly want in gaming media, head to thedicetower.com or thedicetowernetwork.com. Don't forget, we also have our videos on our YouTube channel. That's the youtube.com slash the slash the game pit. If you want to chat with us, head to our guild on Board Game Geek. We're always available there for chatting. You can email us at gamepitpodcast.gmail.com. You can catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can get all our episodes on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify now, I do believe. And thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. And I'll see you both at home. <laughs> and thank you, everyone, for joining us in. Music by E. Aaron. Boy!